Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Let me introduce the gentleman here in the studio. Uh, well, that'll that'll include Chuck Basie too. We'll we'll introduce him too. Uh, Chuck Basie, former state <laughs> representative and Second Amendment supporter, uh, is in the studio. So is Garson from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri, my favorite place to go hunting for new firearms and supplies. And of course, Dale Robert Mo, Roberts MoGunLaw dot com, gentlemen. Baldwin, the actor, is in trouble again. Alec Baldwin apparently is being charged. They charged him, then they dropped it. Now they're charging him again uh, with involuntary manslaughter. And I don't know if you guys did. You guys read the stories? Did you? I, I heard something about a grand jury being convened for him. Yeah, a uh, grand jury. Uh, prosecutors uh, dropped the original charge. Uh, and then uh, they said they get new evidence. Uh, one of the pieces of the evidence is his assertion that he did not squeeze the trigger, but they've examined that firearm apparently left, right, and backwards and forwards, and it just simply could not fire unless he put his finger on and pulled the trigger. It had to be pulled or depressed sufficiently to release the fully cocked or retracted hammer um, and so he, he, you know, and I can understand where he might be mistaken, uh, or he thought he didn't uh, touch the trigger, but he did. He apparently didn't check the gun. He just, and, and he's, he's familiar with firearms. He's got a background that, uh, should, uh, give him some, uh, solid, uh, uh, rules on, on firearms. What, what was it he originally said? I did not have sex with that woman, Monica. <laughs> no, 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 that was the. <laughs> well, I was going to say firearm skills are not hereditary. So the fact that his dad was, you know, in law enforcement and was a gun person, from everything I've heard, doesn't mean that he knows the muzzle from a hammer. Well, I thought that he had been pretty much exposed uh, to firearms, and maybe and when he was known. a kid, and maybe through the movie industry. But I mean. You know, those are perishable skills. So, well, well they, may, they may be perishable skills, but there's some things that aren't skills. They're just basic knowledge. Uh, and that would be to assume that the gun is always loaded. Uh, are you uh, talking about common sense and personal accountability? Oh, and pardon moi. <laughs> pardon moi. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, the proceeding is shrouded in secrecy. Two of the witnesses seen at the courthouse included crew members. Who uh, one uh, uh, who uh, was present when the fatal shot was fired? Another who had walked off the set the day before due to safety concerns. That should be a problem. Baldwin uh, is a co-producer uh, on this movie. Uh, it, the movie was called Rust. Uh, was pointing a gun at uh, cinematographer uh, Hutchins uh, during a rehearsal on a movie set outside Santa Fe when the gun went off, killing her and wounding uh, the director. Baldwin said he pulled back the hammer, but not the trigger, and the gun fired. You know, what if he didn't pull it back all the way back? What if he just, you know, pulled it back a fraction of the way and the hammer s slipped? I guess that wouldn't work either, would it? Cause well, yeah, those are single-action guns, so yeah, the hammer's got to be fully back or the trigger will not drop the hammer on a, on a normally functioning firearm. And it was supposed to be blanks, the ammunition. Yeah, but they 
did he have an obligation? Target practice during breaks. So there was live mm. ammunition on set, which is a huge no-no. Mm. So one of my customers is a movie prop house that makes ammunition for, like, Saving Private Ryan, um, Band of Brothers, Starship Troopers. He's done a bunch of... I mean, he's his business is motion picture blanks, um, and he does a lot of m- blanks for the industry. And he told me that that's a cardinal sin with prop houses to, to have live ammo on sets with fully functioning firearms. Well, the the, uh, the woman who is in charge of uh, gun safety uh, has also been charged in this. So there's there's going to be some accountability, but what about him just as the as a producer of the of the of the movie? Uh, is he not liable Dale uh, just based on his role in funding and producing the movie? I, you know, I think that would be a stretch. And I'm trying to think what state that was in, California, Nevada. New Mexico. New Mexico. Mexico. Um, but. Well, if you're, if you're responsible for the production and the production is dangerous, uh, safety is not a, a top concern and someone gets hurt, then at least in that way, there is some liability. And, and there, <clears throat> excuse me, there is this principle about non-delegable duties. You know, there's some things that are so important or, you know, so severe or potentially dangerous. You can't just say, well, I delegated that to so-and-so and he or she didn't do it. So arrest them, not me. And I don't know if this could be considered a non-delegable duty that, you know, I don't care who you told to do it. You're the director this is a safety issue. It's a movie involving guns. You personally should have made sure it was safe. I, I just don't know. I've, it's a tort. It's a tort law question. I, well, tort law and criminal both. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Well, we we will find out. Uh, they are uh, pressing charges. But what about just the basic never point a firearm? Always assume it's loaded. Uh, yeah, getting back to common sense. Maybe, you know, maybe this is a lesson for all the anti-gunners who won't let uh, the National Rifle Association go into schools and talk about gun safety. All those kids that are not exposed to those classes, uh, that don't know what to do if they find a firearm, they'll just, you know, they could one day blindly find themselves in great danger because uh, I, I think if he had been trained properly, if, if he knew the rules, this could have been avoided. And that, you know, takes me back to Senate bills in Missouri, Senate Bill 75. I think it was 2014. Todd Burke and I got a bill introduced to require uh, public schools to show the Eddie Eagle video or something similar to first grade kids in Missouri to teach them if you see a gun, stop, don't touch, leave the area, tell an adult. And the senator from inner city St. Louis objected to it on the floor of the Missouri Senate. And her logic was, we don't have a problem with guns in the schools in St. Louis. (laughs) That was the, that was it, huh? I promise you. And I, the, the senator that sponsored it for us, a guy named Dan Brown, when I talked to him, I, 
I, I, I was incredulous. I mean, how do you maintain your composure when someone says something like that? And I'd have to defer to Chuck. I mean, he's had, you know, before we went on the air, we were talking about personal attacks and things. I don't know how legislators keep their cool in situations like that. Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, a lot of crazy stuff is said down there. That's for sure. But, um, but yeah, and that, I think that bill you're talking about, Dale, they just changed one word from shall to yes. may, right? Yes, and instead of in saying no. schools shall show that movie or video, they, because of her objection, it was changed to schools may show that movie which may, or that video, which means they don't in St. Louis. And turn that entire exercise into a waste of time. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Um, what a shame. What a shame. Uh, those kids uh, that, that are not exposed to those rules and don't understand them, that, ha that aren't being taught those things, uh, could someday be victims. Yeah, and if, you, if anyone's ever seen the Eddie Eagle video, there's nothing in there that promotes guns or gun use or gun ownership. There's nothing in there that says who made and paid for the movie. It's just a cartoon that over and over again says, if you see a gun, stop, don't touch, leave the area, tell an adult. That, you know, it's like stop, drop, and roll, what we did for fire safety. Dale, uh, let, me, uh, let me ask you about uh, the Second Amendment Preservation Act. I understand we've got a, we're kind of rolling forward with a court date? Finally, we are indeed. And I, you know, I was asking about this. Uh, it's being argued on our behalf by the state of Missouri by the Solicitor General. And I was at a Christmas party and, and ran into the Solicitor General and asked him about it. And he said, you know... It sat for a long time, but we expect it to be set for our oral argument any day. And on, uh, looks like December 8th, the judge directed the clerk, you know, to set this case right away, basically. And on January 12th, uh, it was set on the, on the calendar. It will be argued on February. This is oral argument on the appeal at the 8th Circuit. And it will be argued on February 16th at 8.30 in the morning at the Thomas Eagleton Federal Courthouse in St. Louis, Missouri. So it's finally, it's finally coming up. Uh, for people who aren't aware, I'll tell you what we'll do. We're up against the clock here. We're going to take a break. We'll explain Missouri's Second Amendment Preservation Act briefly and where it stands uh, via the last uh, decision from an anti-gun judge. That's coming up. And more on Gary and Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Chuck Basie is in the studio. So is uh, Dale Roberts. And uh, Garson is in from Graphs. We were talking about the Second Amendment Preservation Act. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, know. But just to be sure you you understand, uh, Dale, give them a quick, a quick rundown of what uh, SEPA is. So the Second Amendment Act basically said we will not spend Missouri tax money and use the time and energy of Missouri law enforcement officers to help enforce federal gun laws. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll work with federal people on, you know, murder and trafficking humans and drugs and anything else, but we're not going to help them enforce gun laws. And the folks who are evidently pro-gun control um, have, t you know, attacked that law and said, oh, so Missouri is trying to tell the government what to do, and Missouri is trying to nullify federal law. Missouri 
It's like, no, we, we never said any of those things. The bill sponsors has specifically said, this is not a nullification bill. We're not trying to control or do anything to the federal government. We're just saying that we won't help them. And there was a Supreme Court case, the Prince, P-R-I-N-T-Z case, years ago that addressed this. Um, so uh, the Department of Justice filed suit against the state of Missouri and uh, the case is up on appeal. It was heard in the trial court level at the federal level um, and happened to fall into the lap of a judge who apparently is not supportive of Second Amendment rights, um, reading the opinion. And so now it's up on appeal, which is the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. And that's as brief as I can be for a lawyer. Yeah, so, in other words, uh, if you have a firearm that violates Missouri's firearm laws, which in many ways uh, look like the federal firearm laws, you'll get prosecuted at the state level. You bet. Uh, if the federal government comes in and catches you, they can prosecute you, but we're not going to aid them. We're not going to help them. We're not part of that. Uh, they have to do it at their own expense. It's not unlike those states that have legalized marijuana and said, we're not going to enforce those federal laws on marijuana. It's up to the federal government to do it. So it's not taking anything from the federal government. Exactly. And it's funny that you mentioned marijuana because, you know, in states that have said, we're going to decriminalize or legalize marijuana, we're going to ignore federal law, the federal government seems to think that's great. But in states that say we're going to decriminalize some gun some gun prohibitions, and you know not enforce federal law or not help enforce. But federal they're not law. even going that far. The, you know the DOJ is going. Oh, we need to we need to stop this. Yeah, it's bizarre. By the way, on the marijuana thing, the federal government is beginning to back down uh, on the federal uh, uh, marijuana laws. They're uh, rescheduling it uh, so it's at a different level. Uh, and and what bothers me about that is if they get to the point where they completely legalize it here in the state of Missouri, uh, we've got these rules built into the state's constitution. Uh, so everybody else will be free to to sell it and market it. But we, of course, will have all kinds of limits because people voted on that stupid marijuana law. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, I don't want to get off into a whole other tangent, but yeah. it just... Well, and since it's in the Constitution, it's going to have to to get repealed. What are they going to have to do to do that? Yeah, yeah that'll be a lot, of, a lot of hoops to jump through. Uh, and I'm not advocating for smoking pot. I've never smoked it. I have no desire to. Uh, I don't even drink alcohol. But it's your body. Do with it as you please. All right. Uh, John Lott sent me a message uh, last week, and I was going to book him for the program... Uh, but it didn't. Uh, it didn't happen. But he has done some research into mass shootings, and he's come up with details and data uh, that that detail everything from race to type of weapon, number of people involved. It really breaks it down state by state. It's uh, an incredible bit of work that they have done at crime prevention research, and I've I've got the data in front of me. And there's a, a couple of points uh, that really surprised me. I really wasn't expecting this. Uh, but I'll go over that data with us. Then uh, a little later in the program, show and tell. And somebody is going to have to talk to Rhonda because I think <laughs> I, <laughs> I think Chuck is going to be seduced into buying something. Uh, well, we'll get around to that a little later on.
82% of the attacks, uh, mass shootings, since 1998 and 94% since 1950 have occurred in places where guns are banned. Um, These uh, numbers are not uh, terribly surprising. We all understand the logic of it. If you're going to go shoot the place up, you don't want to have any competition. Uh, they got a set of figures that show how California's per capita rate of mass public shootings is much higher than the rate for the rest of the country. Since 2000, California's rate is uh, 0.33 per million, 0.33 per million. And for the rest of the country, it's just 0.25. Since 2010, California's rate is uh, 0.28 per million. 0.15 for the rest of the uh, country since 2020. So, what do you suppose it is? I mean, I don't think we can argue that uh, gun control in California is causing the mass shootings. Something else is going on there. Uh, it, it's environmental of some kind. And I'm not talking about something in the air. I'm talking about a permissive attitude or uh, a, a disproportionate number of wackos. Uh, something else must be going on out there. Uh, Garson, you have any theories? There lacks policies towards criminals. Um, uh, you know, I don't think you can. I don't the, think you can uh, uh, make that case. The devolution of when you family look, values. Well, you know that that could be part of it. Could it be the permissiveness? I don't know. Yep. It is. It is uh, strange. The the odd uh, you know correlation here, of course, is that they've got some of the strictest gun laws, if not the strictest gun laws in the country, and it hasn't ameliorated this problem in the least. They're number one uh, in mass shootings. I think there's something to it has something to do with their attitude. Uh, and I don't know if it's political attitude or social attitude, but something is going on. But there are some observations uh, about percentages of different socioeconomic groups that I found fascinating in this study. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit the news break here in just a minute. We're gonna a quick break, and then I will share some of this data: uh, race of mass public shooters. Race of victims, mass public shooters who were white supremacists, gender of mass public shooters, uh, total killed per mass public shooting by type of weapon. We've got all of that data. And uh, and we're going to share that with you in just a few minutes. Uh, whether mass shooters have seen a mental health care professional, did they survive the attack? I've got all that information coming up. I'm Gary on Guns. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Chuck Basie is with us. Dale Roberts. Garson is in from Graf's in Mexico, Missouri. They sell all around the world. Uh, and if you're into reloading, uh, great way to save money. But they've got not just reloading supplies. They've got all kinds of firearms, shotguns, rifles, pistols. Uh, the people behind the counter, they're all shooters. They'll give you some great advice. It's a great, uh, it's a great, uh, great place to buy. Uh, we're talking uh, about the study that was done uh, by Dr. John Lott. Uh, it is available, by the way, at crimeresearch.org, a great place to go. 
But before that, we were talking about these mass shootings in California. And why California? What is it? Uh, it you could argue that the gun control laws may, may uh, uh, interfere with stopping a mass shooter. But that doesn't account for the number of mass shootings, period. And it's been going on for decades. Something out there is making this more likely. Uh, what uh, what do you suspect it is? None of the guys in the studio had any idea, but Gordon might. So we'll go to Gordon. If you've got a comment, 1-800-529-5572. Or go to uh, GaryNolan.com. Send me a message. It'll pop up in the studio. Hey, Gary, have you ever thought that people are like hogs? People are like the hogs? Reason, yes. The reason I say that is is you take 10 hogs and put them in a two-acre pasture and you don't have any problem with hogs. You take those same 10 hogs and put them in a 10 by 10 pen and they will eat each other. So most of these problems all happen where people are all shoved together and they ain't got enough to do. And they haven't you know, got <laughs> Think about that. Uh, well, what about when a mass shooting happens in a rural uh, area? Um, Very seldom does that happen, I think. I think well, there is, uh, there, I think of a couple of, I can think of a church in Texas. I can think of a school in Valde. Okay, uh, well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but my uncle told me that when I was a child, and I thought, you know, it's, it's really true, you know, when you got a half a dozen kids sitting on a stoop with nothing to do, and somebody walks by and they're wearing a funny hat, they all make fun of it. And next thing you know, the fight's on. Yeah, well, it's it's it's. There's probably a grain of truth in there. All right, Gordon, thank you. Have and they said. did recently transplant a hog heart into a human, and he apparently lived for a few months. <laughs> You're saying that he he started the fight? No, I'm just saying that oh. I guess we are more like hogs than uh, than I had thought. Okay, well, it'll be the last time we eat any pickles, pickled pig's feet in our house. <laughs> Of course, we never have in the past. Uh, let's uh, let's go through some of this data that was accumulated by Dr. John Lott. You can look at it, too. Go to crimeresearch.org. Race of mass public shooters, uh, whites, 54.9%. Blacks are, uh, what, 16.7. Hispanic, 10.8. Middle Eastern, 6.9. That's interesting uh, because... You know, population ratio, that seems disproportionately high. Asian, 7.8. So does that. Uh, and American Indian, uh, paltry, 2.9. Those are all, those are my people. Those are my people. They're, they're not out shooting people. Uh, race victims, victims that are uh, killed, white victims, 55.1%. Uh, um, uh, what do we have here? Victims killed that were black is nine. They're nine point eight. Victims killed Middle East. Uh, these numbers are in some cases uh, pretty insignificant. Victims killed Hispanic seventeen point one. Mass public shooters who were white supremacists. You know we keep hearing about this. If you, it, am I right, guys? We keep yep. hearing about white supremacists. Oh yeah. Uh, not white supremacists. Eighty five percent. These are mass public shooters who were uh, white supremacists, 85% uh, of the shooters uh, not white, uh, found to have looked at any white supremacist writings, uh, that was a mere 8%, and the actual number of white supremacists who uh, who did uh, mass shootings, 
a paltry 7%. Don't get me wrong, I would like it to be 0%. Um, I'd like mass shootings to be at 0%. I'd like all of them to uh, be at 0 But still, uh, that that um, argument I keep hearing about white supremacists killing, uh, doing all these mass shootings, apparently not true. Uh, gender of mass public shooters from 1998 through 2023, 96.1% of the shooters were male, uh, a paltry 3.9% were females. No surprise there. Uh, uh, then, uh, let me see, I want to go down there some other. Per- percentage of mass public shootings by trans individuals from 2018 to 2023. Uh, uh, 5.4%. They're a tiny fraction, a tiny fraction of the population. That is disproportionately high. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder, uh, be, because he also looks at uh, whether or not they've had mental health uh, problems. 49%. Whether or not mass public shooters have seen mental health care professionals prior to the attack, 49%, roughly half of them. And you can imagine of the 51% that didn't, they might have been, you know, a, yeah, a fraction uh, of them. Well, I would think anybody who just, uh, Chuck, anybody who goes uh, and commits a crime like this has a mental problem, no? I would think so, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So. Absolutely. There is, um, I think that that might be a a big chunk of the problem. I think most of these mass shooters, if not all of them, have some mental problem. Undiagnosed, but definitely there. Where Uh, does John segregate mass shootings from gang crime or other types of shootings? He is uh, using uh, data that uh, apparently the government uh, uses. Uh, when another uh, shooting happens at a place, he writes, such as a school or a mall, politicians and the media are apt to claim that many hundreds of mass shootings occur each year. Over the last year, this is a quote uh, from Joe Biden, since Uvalde, our country has experienced a staggering 650 mass shootings. Well, that'd be more than one a day. Uh, and you'd, you'd think you'd have heard about all of that. Uh, but the statements give an incorrect impression. That there are massacres every day, like the uh, Uvalde shooting. The numbers cited by Biden, and you guys will be stunned to hear this, uh, they were provided by the Gun Violence Archive, uh, which is the the anti-gun group uh, that broadly defines mass shootings to include any case with four or more people shot or injured. Uh, But they don't make any distinctions. Because if you have a gang war... Uh, you got a drug war, uh, that sort of thing. You can have those kinds of numbers, and it's not really a mass shooting. It's and, and Gary, you know, just a couple of days ago, there was a something in the nightly news, like it was big, a big deal. Uh, something broke out in a bar, and four people were shot. I don't think any of them were killed, but four people got hit by a bullet, and so that is a mass shooting, and. And that's, you know, from the sound of the report, it's like somebody was drunk with a gun and things went bad, badly. But it's not 
that wasn't somebody, it didn't sound like, who said, I'm going to get my gun today, I'm going to go someplace and shoot a bunch of people. Something just broke out in a bar and four people were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But it's a mass shooting. And that's, that, that's the, those are the Biden statistics. Yeah, they're, they're not the uh, actual uh, FBI uh, definition of mass shootings. Um, between January 1st, 1998 and October 25th, 2023, 52-plus percent of the, attacks, uh, of the attacks used solely handguns. 16.8% used only rifles of any type. That doesn't mean it's an AR-15 or a semi-automatic. It's just rifles of any type. 35% of the attacks used solely rifles or rifles in conjunction with another type of gun. I mean, they, they could really make semi-automatic rifles look bad and make guns appear to be the problem. Uh, given the debate over pistol uh, stabilizing braces, uh, he provides an Excel uh, file, lists the guns used in each attack. And two of the attacks used AR-15 type handguns with a pistol stabilizing brace. So, in the entire country, and we're banning these things, they, they want to ban them. Two incidents. The bump stock is just one, as far as I know, Las Vegas, am I right? Yeah, as far as I know. And right away, we're, and, and by the way, it's a Republican. Uh, Lord, they do so badly with guns. So... Um, I don't know what motivates politicians. Uh, is it the news media? Is it just ignorance? I don't know. Uh, but he makes all of this information available at his website, crimeresearch.org. I'm up against the clock and have to take a quick break. You're listening to Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, once again, if you want to contact us, 800-529-5572 gets you into the studios. Also... Uh, you can go to GaryNolan.com. You can send me a message there. It will pop up in studio. Uh, there are no cookies. There are no ads. Uh, you just It's just a way to communicate with us here in the studio. And when I say us, I mean Chuck Basie. I mean Garson from Graffs and Dale Roberts from MoGunLaw.com. Talking about a report that uh, John Lott put out on mass shootings and the breakdowns. And let me give you the uh, the population percentages here. 59.3% of the population was non-Hispanic white in 2022, 4% being Middle Eastern. So about 55.3% non-Middle Eastern whites, with 55% of the murders and victims being non-Middle Eastern whites. Whites are slightly below their share of those involved in these attacks. Uh, with the discussions about racial motives of shooters, blacks are underrepresented as a share of the victims. Blacks comprise 16.7% of the murders, only 9.9% of the victims. That's 9.9% uh, is less than their 13.6% of the general population. Hispanics are underrepresented as a share of mass murderers. 10.8% of these mass murders are Hispanic compared to them being 18.9% of the general population. But their 17.1% share of the victims is close to Hispanic share of the general population. Uh, going on, compared to the uh, Middle Easterners, at 4% of the general population, they are overrepresented as a share of mass murderers at 6.9%, underrepresented in terms of victims. 
Uh, sadly, that's uh, that's me too. I'm Middle Eastern. Uh, Asians uh, make up 6.1% of the population, overrepresented in both mass murderers, 7.8%, and even more overrepresented as victims at 9.7%. Interestingly, 44% of Asians murdered in these attacks were murdered by other Asians. And finally, trans individuals are well overrepresented in terms of attacks. There are three estimates of the percentage of adults who are trans. And this is really going to be hard to nail down. Uh, I've got my reasons for believing that, uh, not the least of which is I think it's environmental. I certainly don't buy into any genetic predisposition to, uh, or, or uh, genetic excuse for a guy saying he's a girl. But uh, what, it, what, it, uh, what it breaks down to, uh, clearly increasing the, the numbers of trans individuals over time, an average for 2018 to 2023 uh, would be a, a, would overestimate the rate, but the average is 0.73 uh, percent trans share of mass public shootings over the 2018 to 2023 period, uh, 7.4 times their share of the population. So there are some hot spots here, some people that are overrepresented as shooters. But um, not a lot of answers. Is there any anything that ties this all together? Uh, Dale, I'll start with you. Do, you. do you see any any common ground? Any anywhere? Anything here? Not really. And I'd have to really, you know, sit down and look at those numbers side by side. Um, but I, you know, I may. Have, I think I mentioned earlier. I was at an event yesterday. And a law professor, a friend of mine, was there who, who's recently retired and had noted that he's been hired to do a study of which states have the most freedom and which states have the most vice. And there were a couple of us, you know, it's a thing for lawyers, a couple of us standing around. And I said, well, it, will you determine that the states that have the most freedom have the most guns? And he smiled and said, I, you know, that maybe he needed to add that to his sort of study. And someone like that, someone like John Lott, is better qualified to, you know, do those comparisons than I. So I'm anxious to see the results. Uh, yeah. Was he not uh, the professor that... Yes. Uh, Royce de Berendiz, Professor Berendiz, Berendiz. Um He taught up until, I think, December and is now a, a professor emeritus at the law school, so he's technically retired, but hopefully he'll continue to teach. I'm not sure if he wants to. I say that just because he's such a great guy and such a great mind. Um, and he just published a new, another new firearms handbook, firearms law handbook. Um, hopefully he'll continue to keep active in this, in this field. Uh, yeah, I'm, he sadly did not prevail, if I'm not mistaken, in his case against uh, the university. Well, the the uh, circuit court ruled against him, and then when it went up on appeal, the appellate court reversed the circuit court as to the fact that uh, the appellate court established that you do have a right to have a firearm in your vehicle on campus. Um, you can't 
according to that, as far as that opinion went, can't take it out of the vehicle, can't have it on campus if you're uh, an employee, faculty, or student. But but they ruled, they sort of split the baby, I guess. They did rule that, that you do have a right to have it in your firearm, or in your automobile, in your vehicle. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, uh, Chuck, you sounded <laughs> you sounded pained by that. Was well, it? yeah, I, I I don't that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, it just uh, I don't know. I, I see a lot of problems with that because you know if if, if somebody knows you're a, a person that likes firearms and carries and things like that, then that I think that would uh, lead to the possibility of you getting broke in and uh, all that. And, uh, and now, you know, that's the. Foolish twist of this, the testimony at trial by campus, I think the chief of police on the, for the campus police was that we're afraid of having guns stolen out of vehicles. Well, then <laughs> don't it don't make people leave their gun in the vehicle. I mean, that's but, you know, and, and, and also, you know, what they don't talk about is the fact that this prohibition only affects faculty, staff, and employees. You and I, everybody in this room, may lawfully carry, carry a firearm on campus. It's it's just a rule, not a law. It's just a university rule that says if you work for us or if you're a student here, you you people can't do it. Bizarre. Yeah. Um, but uh, speaking of not leaving your firearm in your car, uh, did you guys read about what the uh, federal judge uh, said about not being able to carry in a post office? No, I missed that one. You missed that? Oh, I missed a lot. Carson, <laughs> did you catch it? Did you see it? I had not heard anything about it. Chuck? Nope, didn't hear it. Oh, gentlemen. Do tell. Ooh, we're going to have to get that next. And then show and tell. I'm Gary Ann Gump.